Hey guys, you're so welcome here today. Uh, you know, it's my first time actually preaching here in Dublin, and it's funny, preaching in your home church, you know, you'd be a bit nervous. And then you look out to the crowds as well, and it's like, oh my goodness, it's like triple the amount of people than usual. <laughs> but uh, I know guys, I'm, I'm just so encouraged to be here. I feel I have a word, and it's, oh, we nearly lost one there. <laughs> um, but hey guys, uh, um, I feel I have a word, uh, you know, on my heart today, and it's really one of those those words and those messages that, from the kind of first day, you know, I came in contact with God, the first day that I came to know Him, right up to now, it's been the heartbeat of of, of what I feel has been placed in me and, and what I want to tell people um, and what I people I want people to know, you know, because I do believe that as a church, you know, we have a vision and a mission to to see people experience life change through Jesus. And I can testify that life change is real. I can testify that that is a real thing that happens, that God can transform us like that. You know, he can, you know, and, you know, sometimes, right, there's there's a lot of noise sometimes in, in when we're we're Christians and we feel we have to do all these things, you know, oh, we have to do this to be a good husband, we have to do this to be a good friend, we need to read the Bible this way, we need to feel this way. And there's sometimes so much instruction, right? And so much noise and so many opinions that it's sometimes hard to actually remember, what does a Christian do? Like, what, what is my primary purpose? Like, what, what is my purpose here as a Christian? And sometimes we need to just step back. And before all the doing and the, all of that kind of stuff, just remembering why Jesus came to die, why Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth as a man. He died on a cross. So Ephesians 2, the dividing wall of hostility would be broken. So we would now have direct access to the Father and the Son. And we are now allowed to be in relationship with Jesus. Amen. That is, that's our primary role. And, and Jesus says in the word, doesn't he? Straight off, he says, what, you know, what's your number one thing? Your primary purpose as, as my people. What's your primary role? And it's in Matthew 22, 37 to 38. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Right? And then he goes on and says to love your neighbor as yourself. So we find the first primary thing we have to do before anything else is love the Lord. And the outflowing of that is love your neighbor as yourself, right? You know, and we forget that, but that's so important, right? We, our number one problem, number one thing is to love God, right? And that seems like freeing for a little second where you're like, oh wait, so all I have to do is love God. Like all I have to do is love God and just be in love with him and him love me and that seems great. And so we go to our have a quiet time or spend time with him and stuff like that and we go to read the Bible and do the things and we don't feel anything. Sometimes we just don't feel anything and there feels like this gap between I'm doing the right things but I don't feel his presence. I don't, it's not producing the fruit in me of love. It's not producing fruit in me that I want to worship him and, and see his glory. I don't see him clearly even though I'm trying to do the right things. And we're wondering, why, why, why do we have that gap? You know, what's, what's happening there? Why don't I feel his peace? Why don't I feel his presence? Why don't I feel his love? What's going on there? What's the problem? I'm trying to summon it up, but it's not happening. And it's, just, it's honestly stressful when you realize that my primary purpose is to love God, but I don't love God with my heart. It's, it's, it's worrying. And so here's the thing, you know, I always think about when Jody and I kind of first got married and stuff, and have anyone... Has anyone read the five love languages, right, that book, you know? Great book, you know, like it lays it out very clearly and stuff like that. I use that, I see things as a manual. Probably the male in me just thinks if I do A, B, C, D, it will all work out fine. So I was like, okay, we'll do the quizzes. I know Jody's was uh, gifts and, and physical touch. 
I was like, grand, I got the easy ones, you know, right? So that's fine. So, you know, it doesn't matter where my heart was, really, you know. I may not have been really, like, cherishing or loving her. I may have been grumpy with her. I may have been whatever. But if we had a little, uh, you know, fight or whatever, I would do, just go out and buy a present. And, oh, there you go. There's a present now. Yeah, okay, you know. I'd maybe give her a little hug to get the, you know, the, the physical touch as well. And I'm good. I'm good. Marriage is good. All is well, you know. Ah, that's easy. It doesn't work like that, does it? No, no. You see, because... I wasn't, my heart wasn't in the right position, even though I was doing the right actions. You see, there's a difference, isn't there, between not what I should be doing, but rather what is the position of my heart in my doing. And a lot of us spend a lot of time doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. We spend a lot of time doing things that we, we, we ought to do. But we're wondering why it doesn't produce the fruit, because our heart isn't, isn't in the right place. And suddenly against us, we just get busy. It's not like we're horrible people. It's just hard. It's really hard. And we get it for a while, but then we just, it's just it gets really hard, so we don't, we just, we find it really hard, you know? And so, we, so the thing is, is that it is so much easier to just do the right things because we don't really need God for a religion. We don't need God to do the things. We can do that ourselves. And we're so self-sufficient. We love self-sufficiency. But with grace, with being encountered with God to actually produce love in our heart, we need God. And it requires a surrender that only we can get from him it has to be in direct relationship. And, and, and we need to get to that place. And, and I love what um, what's said in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to this. And we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Are you catching that there? So that's what saying is, the clearer we see Jesus, the more we'll be transformed into Jesus into his image. The more we see him, the more he is unveiled to us, the more we see him clearly, the more something transforms in us. We are suddenly changed. We're not just supposed to be made a little bit better. God came to make you whole and he came to transform you, not just make us a little bit better. And see, that's so powerful. So we understand that principle now from 2 Corinthians, right? That as I see him clearly and the more clearly I see him, the more I become like him, the more I'm transformed, the more I'm freed, the more I'm in love with him and all of these things and things are in the right place. Okay, so, so the question isn't really, it's not really a doing issue, it's a seeing issue. It's not really, what am I doing? It's seeing, how can I see him more clearly? And so when we ask that question, say, Jesus, I want to see you, but how how do I let love form? How do I do it? Like what, what has to change in me so I can see you clearly? Because there's so much more on offer, but I know I'm not living in a fullness of what you've called me to be. There is more. There is more. And this is what I love about the Bible, is it actually just lays it out very clearly. It lays it out in the Beatitudes. Jesus just speaks to us and he tells us exactly. He says, if you put your heart in this position, you will see me clearly. That's what all of the blessings are, right? The blessings aren't that you're going to be rich. The blessings aren't that you're going to be, you know, all of these things. No, it says, blessed are you, you know, all of these things, and you will see God. You will inherit the kingdom. It's all about being in relationship with Jesus and his kingdom. Yeah, and so the Beatitudes lay it out. And I'm going to do four of them because I don't have time to do all eight of them. No, I think, you know, that would take a while. Uh, so the first one, right, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I entitled this one, Love Forms When I Give Up Control. 
when I give up control. It could be just when I give up. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there, there's, there's this poor in spirit, right? And, and what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means really that, that I'm accepting that I cannot do it by myself. It's accepting that, yeah, I may actually be doing all right, but there's more. Yes. That I may be, you know, doing half okay and things might be going well, and that's great, but, but there's more. And I need to surrender what I have to receive the abundance of what God has given me. You know, and Mark, I might just call you up. Is that all right? My father-in-law and part of the, uh, the Maiden family band that was today, you know. <laughs> uh, and so imagine this. So Mark was kind of telling me. So Mark is a pilot, right? I'd been pilot for years, okay? So he was teaching me a bit about, you know, what do you call it? Piloting? What's it? Flying? <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flying an aeroplane, you know? <laughs> Okay, and so we're chatting, you know, and you have the captain and you have the co-pilot. So there's always two in the plane, right? Um, and so it's the job, right, of the captain. So say if he is in control, the captain will say... I have control. And then I won't be able... He won't have control until I say, you are in control. Okay, that's how it works. And same if I want to take control of the captain, I'll say, I am in control. And the captain will say... You have control. But I will never have control until the other person says I have control. Okay, so they don't let you take control of the wheel until that. And it's the funny thing is when we wake up in the morning, right, it's kind of like that. We're both, God and myself, we're sitting in the passenger seat, right? And God says, I have control. And what I should be saying is, you have control. Okay, but what usually happens, right, because we're humans, is God says, I have control. And I'm like, no, you don't. I have control, you know. And, uh, and the issue with that is, is that Mark has 10 plus years experience of flying a plane. I don't understand why this floating can stays in the air, right? <laughs> and so my belief is that two things would happen if I took the wheel. I'd either crash and burn. I'd probably just end up like spinning around for a while, you know, and be stuck in the same loop. Oh, you can sit down. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it's like with us, isn't it? We are just so often find it so hard to give up control, so hard to let it go. And see, the thing is, is that we think it's our job to do all the things and to direct the plane and to direct our lives and to find all of this stuff. But it's not. Our job is to yield and abide. And it's Jesus' job to heal and revive. It's not the other way around. And we get mixed up. We think we have to take it all on ourselves. No, we're called as Christians is to surrender to God's will and to let go of trying to do it ourselves and to abide in his presence and then trust that he will bring the outcomes, that he will bring everything that needs to come from that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so funny because it's so hard when you feel you have a lot. Why does Jesus say that to the rich it's, it's impossible to come into the kingdom of God? It's, it's, it's hard as, as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Why does he say that? Because they have so much to surrender. It's so hard. Because you're like, I have to give up all of this, which is a pretty good life. Because I have to not just love you, God, but trust you that I'm going to give up all of this and go into your will and live in your will. And you're going to provide something greater. And, you know, I remember I was in Uganda over the summer, right? And this is where I encountered this on a whole other level. I mean, I couldn't believe what I've seen. I've never seen anything like it in my life. So we are, as in Ugandan style, we're put in a van. They're all playing drums for about three hours uh, as we get to this unknown destination. We didn't really know where we were going, but you just go along with it. That's just the way mission trips go, isn't it? Uh, and we arrive at this prison. And so we get there and we have like, we brought a few Bibles with us. Um, we go to this prison and then they tell me, oh, oh, you're preaching. I was like, what? 
No, not. Thanks for the offer, you know, but it was clear it wasn't an offer, it was a, you are preaching. So, um, so anyway, I got up, tried to waffle my way through this message, you know, not knowing what to do. And a man, these guys were so hungry. I have never seen anything like it. They just were so hungry for God. They were just on their knees, just giving their lives to God because they, they just knew that they had nothing else. It was so easy for them. And to the point where we had about five Bibles that we given to them, and they were passing the Bibles around, right? They were opening it up, reading the scripture, and writing it on their arm. Because they were so hungry to have God's word. Because they just knew that they wouldn't have much of an opportunity to read it. It would be passed around. Isn't that mad? That's what poverty of spirit looks like. That's where it's like, I, I don't have anything. I've made a mess of it. I'm not good enough. I don't have it all together, but I trust that Jesus is going to make it better. I trust that he has a better way for my life. I trust he has a better will for my life. And as we do that, as we let go of the control, as we let go of all that stuff, we start seeing him clearly. We start seeing him more clearly because it's gone. We're suddenly not so self-obsessed. We're not just self-driven. We're not. We suddenly realize that, God, no, no, I need to surrender to your will. And when he calls us to do things that we don't want to do, and we're willing to do those things, we suddenly become closer in intimacy with him. It's so hard. It's not easy. But it's so worth it. It's not comfortable. But it just gives you a more beautiful, fulfilling, joyful life in him. And it's the way we're called to be as Christians. It's the way Jesus has called us to live. It's self-death, baptism. We die to ourselves and we're born again, something new. We no longer live my own life. Christ lives in me. I live his life. Yeah, amen. So that's the first one, right? That we have to love forms when I give up control, when I let it go, when I just say no, right? I get that. So second one, right? Here's one. Love forms with honesty, vulnerability, and realness. Honesty, vulnerability, and realness. Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How many of us know that? We have shallow friendships and we have real friendships, right? Way more shallow friendships than real friendships. Way easier to have shallow friendships than real friendships. And we see that as we are vulnerable with people and honest with them. Honestly, Patrick and I had a conversation this week. And we sat together and we were really honest and it was great, and we're vulnerable with each other, and I feel like I've just grown a deeper friendship with him. I feel I know him better, he knows me better, and it's a beautiful thing. I don't feel alone. That's powerful. It's the same way with God, right? It's the same way as we're in relationship with him. We become closer to him when we're honest and vulnerable and real with him. Listen to this quote from Brené Brown. She's brilliant. Staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection. If we want to experience connection with Jesus and with other people, we have got to be vulnerable. It's not an option. We are going to be lonely, and so many people are lonely in their lives because they're not willing to be vulnerable, not willing to be honest about what's going on. They're just not. And you know what? There's this one story in my life that I want to share. Um, and it's when I was a 16-year-old boy, okay? Um, and so my friend and I, we were, he was at my house. Uh, we were kind of like around junior third age. And uh, we're chilling out, and then my mom gets a phone call. And we, you know, she answers the phone and hears, and it was, it was from my friend's mother's phone, but it wasn't his mother talking, it was his neighbor. And just the kind of panic in the voice and saying, oh, can you come back? Uh, can, you bring, can you bring my friend back? Can you bring him back? Um, just something has happened, we need to bring him back. And so we go on what feels like the longest drive of my life, 10, 15 minute drive, and you can just feel, you know, this anxiety building up that something's not good here. Something's not good. And as we arrive in the house, we see an ambulance and we're like, oh, maybe she just slipped, you know. Um, 
But no, in that moment, she just literally died. Just in a moment, she was gone. Just one second, just something happened, and she was, she was gone. I need to walk into that shock and that horror, and it was horrible. But anyway, so, you know, we had to leave them there, and we moved on and stuff. And a few days later, we come again, you know, and as a... 16-year-old boy who doesn't know how to handle his emotions, I was brought in with, with my mom, and my mom was like, oh, go up to your, the room to your friend. Will you go up and just, you know, spend some time with him, comfort him? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't know what to say. What do you say to someone who that's happened to? What do you do? What are you going to tell them? And I was so terrified, but anyway, I have to go up, because when your mom tells you to do something, you just do it. Youth. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, so, so we, I walk in, you know, and I, I kind of knock on the door and I open it. And I see my friend on the edge of the bed. And he, there were literally a full towel, just like weeping and weeping and weeping. And weeping into, into this towel, just broken. Just completely broken and just kept crying. And, and I was there like, what am I going to do? And so I just went around and sat in the bed and put my arm around him. And I just started crying too. I just kept weeping with him and weeping with him and mourning with him because I didn't know what else to do and that just felt natural. But the point is, is in that moment where we were just crying on the bed as two 16-year-olds that I experienced us going from being good friends to being brothers for life. When something like that happens, the relationship doesn't break easy. In that moment, we were just connected as brothers and even to this day, we're best friends and nothing will change that. And that's the power of vulnerability and honesty. And so we all know that it's those parts in our lives that we don't want to give to God. It's those the parts of our lives where we kind of want to run away, right? We don't want to spend time with God with them because it feels insecure. And I don't know how many of you, but for me, if I have something going on and we all kind of know that, oh, I need to forgive someone or I'm hurting or I need to work through something, hey, it's brilliant because I get every little job in the house done. If there's a bit of like mold or something in like the grout, I'll be cleaning that for a few hours. You know, I'll go around and do anything but sit down and try and work through what's going on. It's just something about it. It's just horrible, isn't it? That moment where you're like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be busy because busy is easier and I don't have to think about it. And then it catches up with you. But it's in those moments where we let God in. And we say, God, I'm willing now to bring this morning to you. And if we don't do that, we'll never experience the fullness of God's heart. Because it's in those places where you have a massive amount of shame in your life. And you don't want anyone to feel it or see it or hear it. But when God looks in those places and tells you that he still thinks you're beautiful despite that. Or when he still thinks that you're worthy or he still says, I love you and I'm still willing to pursue you. Even though you have all this in your life, that heals your heart in a way that nothing else will. That's when you see his heart. That's when you see his love for broken people like you and I. That's when we encounter his fullness of his heart. So as we mourn with God, we're building relationship, we're building intimacy, and we're beginning to see him clearly. And it's beautiful because we're just beginning to be changed as those things are broken off in us. They're broken off in us. It's massive. It's so important. Guys, be real and vulnerable with God and with other people. We have life groups because we want you to be real with people. Because life change will never happen until you're willing to be vulnerable. Never will. So just encourage you guys to do that. As we do it, we will see God. I believe that fully. I believe that absolutely fully. That's massively important. Massively important. And hey, so moving on then to number three, right? Number three, love forms with an open mind. 
Love forms with an open mind. Listen to this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What's meekness? Now, meekness is a willing to accept that maybe I don't have it all together. Meekness is a willing to accept that I don't know it all. Weakness is a willing to accept that, that I need to learn. It's a willing to be, be kind of elastic with your beliefs and the things that you're able to, to ask questions and be open to learn, to be teachable. This is so important. It's so, so important. It's like coming to the Bible as kids. Jesus says it all the time, doesn't he? Say he could come to the Bible, be like kids, have faith like kids, be like that, have an open mind. Are we reading the Bible with an open mind? Are we reading it like we've never seen it before? It's like we kind of get used to the Bible and we're like, okay, guess what happens at the end of the Gospels? Jesus resurrects. None of us knew that, right? You know? So it loses its power because we get so familiar with it. And we stop seeing things because we just presume we know what's going to happen. We presume we know the answers. We presume we know the right things to happen. But this is what I'd submit to you guys is a willingness to read the Bible with an open mind, to see it like it's brand new, to pretend you don't know anything. And as that comes and you find out the death and then he's resurrected and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then you start realizing, oh, wait, that, that resurrection power that was in Jesus that brought him to life is now in me. And then you suddenly start walking in more truth and clarity. That's powerful. And, you know, one small thing, and it doesn't even have to be a big, one small thing that just made me just fall in love with Jesus in a small way was I was reading the Bible and I was trying to bring this fresh, you know, open mind to it. And I was reading the story of, you know, the storm. And Jesus is, you know, sleeping while the storm is raging. And all the disciples are like, what are you doing? Come on, you know, wake up. Um, But I just read this tiny little phrase. And it was that Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. (laughs) On a cushion. And I was like, Jesus, you know, you care about, like, being a bit comfortable. Like, you didn't just sleep on the hardwood floor. Like, you actually had a cushion. And he had a nice cushion to sleep on. And I was like, that's nice. You know, that shows you're really human. You know, that you cared about that, you know, and I understand that. If I find, I'm quite fussy about my pillows. I like a nice flat pillow, you know. We all have our opinions on pillows. But I like sitting down. You know, if I have a nap and it's a really good nap and all the, 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 the thing is right, if someone wakes me up in the middle of a nap, man, I'll be grumpy too, you know. But it just made me relate to God. And it's so stupid and so small and it's about a cushion. But I was like, I think that guy is cool. <laughs> I think he's cool. I want to hang out with Jesus. And that's what it's about. We start reading the Bible freshly and we start seeing he's mad. Like he's so cool. Like at the end when he's, he's resurrected, you know, and he's walking with his disciples and he's pretending like he's not Jesus. And he walks along with them and they're like, oh, uh, and Jesus comes up. Oh, what are you guys talking about? And the, the disciples are like, oh, you know, you know what we're talking about. You know, do you know, have you not heard? It's about this guy, Jesus. And he, he died and we thought he was the Messiah and all of this. And he just keeps going. Oh, really? I never heard that. And he's pretending the whole time to be something, you know, to pretend to be this other guy. And he keeps walking. And he even says it right in the Bible that he, he kept going. And then he said, oh, and he pretended to go on further. Like he was like, oh, I actually have to keep going on further when he never did. You know, he just wanted to get to know them. And he just, you just see his little character, you know. There, it's not a little, it's a big character. But anyway, you know, it's interesting as we just read freshly, we start seeing him as, as a man. And we start falling in love with him. Because he's, he's just cool. He's a good guy to hang out with, right? So we need to look with things with open mind. And uh, with this part in my life, I was in South Africa, okay? And, uh, you know, if there's any South Africans in the room, you're kind of, you're, yeah, hey, yeah, there we go. You know? 
<laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, so, so you guys might relate to this, you know. So, so I was, I was uh, walking, um, I was outside in South Africa, right? and you know you have those times where like I'm trying to figure things out, and then I was praying all holy, you know, I was sitting there like, God, will you just help me figure this out, and I need clarity in this, I need to figure it out, what's going on here, I need your help. Um, which just helped me figure this out. I can't understand it. And uh, as, I'm, as I'm praying like that, this guy, right, comes up to me, uh, you know, and how could I describe this guy? Well, he had no teeth. Uh, he didn't read or write. Uh, he was part of a gang up until recently, quite a violent gang. Um, and he, uh, you know, according to my judgmental attitude, I thought the man was mad. Thought he was pure crazy. And I was like, I spent like weeks trying to avoid him. But anyway, so he comes up to me and he's like, John, do you want to go for a walk? And I was like, oh, do you know what? I'd love to. I really would love to. But I'm really busy. I just have to go do something, you know. You know, I can't chat with you, sorry. You know, so, so I kind of get away with it that time. And the same thing, I come again at the same time to try and spend time with God and try to figure this thing out, you know, and just felt like I needed some work. And, and he comes up again. I'm like, oh, here we go. And he's like, John, walk, walk, walk. And I'm like... Again, so sorry, I'm busy, you know, maybe some other time, you know, and you're just trying to come up with excuses because I do not want to spend time with this chap. Um, and so it comes the third time, third day. I really should have picked a different time if I'm looking back now. But anyway, he comes up again and I'm like, oh, I'm running out of excuses at this stage, like, you know. Uh, and so he comes up to me and he's like, we go for a walk. And I'm like, ah. um, and you know, when someone looks you in the eyes and they just see straight through you. And you can see in that moment that they're just like, you just don't want to hang out with me. And I was like, oh, you know. Um, but anyway, so I said, no, look, I'll go for a walk with him. I felt too bad. I was kind of cornered, nothing I could do. So I go for a walk with this guy. And he brings me around. And he starts telling me, like, oh, could you open this part in your Bible and read it to me? I was like, cool, cool, you know, because he couldn't read the Bible. Um, and so he opens it and he reads it. Or I read it. And then he explains what it means in a way I've never had anyone explain anything to me in my life. It was unbelievable. That man knew the scriptures back and forth, and he brought things out in it that I would never have seen. And those things that I was struggling with, he started explaining to me what the Bible said about it. He, started, he, he changed my heart. And those times when I was praying for God to help me, and I wasn't expecting, or my eyes weren't open enough, and my mind wasn't open enough to receive what God was bringing into my life. We need an open mind. And then we start encountering Jesus. And you know, the Jews... They missed out on the Messiah because they had false prepositions of who he was. Are we going to miss out on Jesus? They thought he was going to be a warrior king who was going to come down and rule, but he came as a meek lamb. We need to have an open mind so we don't miss him in the everyday. It's massive. So let's have an open mind. Let's receive from him an open mind daily. It's so important. Faith like kids and we will change the world change the world guys just do it be open-minded believe that god can do immeasurably more than we ever ask think or imagine but we just have to be open to receive it we need to let go of all those things that hindered okay the final one love forms in those who are not satisfied with the status quo blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger and thirst for God's presence. They hunger and thirst for something more of God. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis from The Way to Glory, this book you all should read. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus did not come to make us better. He came to make us whole. Jesus did not come to make you a little bit better. He came so you would be transformed into something brand new. Can I get the keys up, actually? Jesus wants us to stop being so willing to stay in comfort. Comfort will kill us. Jesus has not called us to be comfortable. Jesus has called us to be so, just this holy dissatisfaction where we are that we're pursuing something more. We're pursuing something greater. Jesus hasn't called us to be Sunday Christians. He hasn't called us to just be a segment of our lives. And he hasn't called us to just struggle on our own forever. God has called us for greater. He's called us for more. He's called us to be changed. He's called us to hunger and thirst for him daily, to want to see more of him. There's more on offer. And today I want you to encounter and understand that Jesus is calling you into more. He's not calling you to stay where you are. It is so easy to get comfortable. But we went into this phase in a certain way and we start going on in a different way. Because the way in is the way on. It's submission and yielding and abiding in Christ. It's a willing to let go of everything else and just say, Father, I surrender to you. I surrender to your will and I surrender to your ways. I believe, God, that you have greater for me. I believe that what I'm living, there's more. I believe, God, that your presence, there's more of it. God, I believe that I can be more united to you. God, I believe that I can see you more clearly. God, I believe that I can become more like you. God, I'm sick and tired of struggling by myself, God, and I want you. I'm sick and tired of trying to pretend to be this good Christian when, God, I just need you. I'm sick and tired of doing all the right things but not experiencing the fruit of it. God, I just want you. Because God's not called you to be busy doing. He's called you to be busy just being with Him. He's called you to sit at His feet and worship Him. That is your number one priority. Don't get it mixed up. Don't get it mixed up. Jesus has called you to sit at His feet. He's called you to surrender to his will and his life and abide in his presence. As you do that, your life will be changed. He will carry all the stuff. He will do all the stuff. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will protect you. He will sustain you. He will make you pure. He will make you holy. He will make you righteous. He will make you happy. He will make you peaceful. He may not take away your suffering, but he'll give you joy in the middle of it. He may not take away all your pain, but he'll be walk beside you in it. He'll mourn with you if you let him. You see, we have 80, 90 years, if we're lucky, in the light of eternity. Don't get comfortable with the little time you have and give up on what Eli said, the promises to come. Give it all up now. Surrender everything now. Yield yourself to God. Say, God, I'm surrendering now. Surrender isn't just giving up things. Surrender is giving up things because you know you're going to receive more. It's easy to say, I love you, God. It's hard to say, I trust you. It's easy to say, God, I love you. It's hard to start walking in trust and start letting go of control instead of giving God the control, giving God the direction, letting him be the leader of your life and being willing to do things that, God, that you don't want to do, but God has called you to do. There's greater things available here, and I believe that that's a word from God, that God is saying that there's more available to you and that you're limiting your belief in what God can do in you. Just because you've been doing the same thing and going around in circles for 10 years doesn't mean that God can't do something fresh today. Amen. Let's, let, let's take the opportunity to start believing and have faith again. God has called you to more. God has called you to more. And I'll just get the worship team up here.
today is my prayer and my heart that if just in this moment and in this time that you would just allow God to just come in wherever there's shame and guilt and condemnation that's blocking you from God allow him into that to mourn with you he's not going to attack you he's not going to beat you up he's going to be with you he's going to love you he's going to be compassionate he's going to be gracious you're going to experience his heart where you're too scared to be vulnerable with people because you're scared they're going to judge you and say things be vulnerable it will change your life you'll experience wholeness that you've never had where you need to have an open mind and think fresh you've been disappointed for the past 10-15 years you thought there was more and then it feels like you're just in the same place all the time have an open mind God there's more God, I believe that you've more. I believe that your presence is alive. God, I believe there's no difference now between the first apostles in the book of Acts and what we're living today. God, I can see healing in people's life. I can see, God, you restore sight to the blind. I can see you do miracles. But do we have faith to believe? And finally, guys, are we willing to now stop accepting less than what God has called you to and start believing there is more? There is more.